Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Well, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. It's good to see you guys. Tell somebody next to you, man, you're looking good. Except if that gets you in trouble. Don't <laughs> make sure you say that to the right person. I don't want anybody to get in trouble. Thank you very much. You can't get in trouble for that. You know, I, um, boy, I, I tell you, if I don't sip tea before I get done singing worship, I'm going to lose my voice. I, you know, how many of you sense God's presence here this morning? Amen. You know, as we begin to worship, and I just want to in, encourage us as a congregation to continue, like like Greg, our worship director, has, has told us before, it's kind of like uh, a satellite dish. You know, you, you open up, you point in that right direction, and you get that signal. And some of us are, we are so desperate to hear from the Lord. We, we have prayer requests. We have... Uh, relationships, we have struggles or different things, or maybe we don't even, some of us don't even know the Lord yet, but we're here, we're seeking, and we're, we're listening, and trying to uh, just kind of learn about what does it mean to follow Christ. I tell you, as you, even as an unbeliever, just begin to open your heart and say, God, speak to me. I, I want to know you. He will speak to you. He always hears that prayer. Whenever anybody ever tunes in and, and, and directs their, their hearts to him, he is right there. And so as we continue to, to worship, even maybe at the end of this service, I'm still undecided about that. But if, if we get another opportunity or in the, this Sunday's future, uh, in, through our daily lives, start your day by turning your heart towards the Lord and saying, God, just before I start this day, before we start this service, just tune my heart to yours. Let me hear your voice today. How many of you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Well, we are here in uh, the book of Galatians. And this is a, a, a book that Paul wrote to several churches in a region that we now know as, as Turkey. Okay? It's a part of Turkey. And so this was a letter that was to be passed around from one church to the next and read. He, he started these uh, congregations. Uh, I'm sure he had some help doing that. Perhaps Barnabas uh, was with him at that time. And they started these, these congregations. And it wasn't too long after they had left and went back to Antioch, uh, where their home church was, that, that false teachers began to creep in and tell the Galatians a whole lot of things that, that weren't necessarily true. And it really what it boils down to is that it was that faith in Christ is not enough. There, you must do some other things as well. And so this kind of started the Galatians down a, a path that, that Paul was not pleased with. And he writes to them, and he's talking to them about the freedom that God gave them through their faith in Christ. Freedom to live life, uh, the abundant life that God uh, always has intended for them to live. And so we're going to get into the second of the six sermons. And this is talked about uh, talking about being freed for a reason being freed for a reason so we'll come to this throughout the sermon today you know speaking of reasons reasons go with the question why and if you have children or have spent a lot of time around uh, young children you know that kids ask the question why all the time yeah. all the time right at times this can be uh, somewhat annoying because 
but they're asking because they're curious, they're inquisitive, they're trying to figure out their world, and so the only natural question is to be like, why? Why is it like this? Someone once said that the best scientists and explorers have the attributes of kids. They, they ask questions and have a sense of wonder. They, they have curiosity, and so naturally they're going to ask questions like, who, what, where, when, why, how, and, and why. They, they never stop asking questions. I think that that's a good, a good trait. Some of us, as we get into our adult years, we stop asking questions. We just start uh, uh, taking things for granted or assuming other people's answers. I personally love the questions like why and how. Okay, it's what drew me to become a physics teacher, and later piqued my interest in, in economics. And I suppose uh, it also is what draws me into the ministry and, and, and draw, uh, calls me deeper into the scriptures because I love to know why God wants us to interact with each other and with Him the way He does, and and how. How does He want me to interact with? with my wife or with my children or with you uh, as a congregation or at work, you know? I, I love finding answers to questions. And so, needless to say, I ask a, a lot of questions. I think that's what helps me continue to learn and to grow. Uh, what about you? Do you like to know how things work and why? Do you naturally enjoy learning as much as I do or as much as kids do? And so whether or not we enjoy learning uh, as adults, we uh, may frequently ask the question why now and again, especially when something happens to us in life that we, we really don't understand. Like, why did this happen, God? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't see. How can you be moving in such a, a negative uh, situation or such a, a downer of a situation? And so in some of those questions, we may not ever, while living on this earth, know the full reason why. However, there is one thing for certain that we know the why behind, and that's our salvation. Amen. In this sermon, we're going to consider Paul's testimony. In the process, we're going to learn three valuable lessons that will help us remember the why behind our salvation. See, Paul teaches us in Galatians chapter 1, where he shares his own testimony. And if you want to begin turning there, you can. Uh, he teaches us that we've not been saved just solely for our own benefit, but for the benefit of those who have yet to hear the good news. As Christians, we're called to carry this hope and this message of God's love and His grace out into the world. And so my prayer is that through this sermon and on through this week, God will begin to reveal to us the absolute wonder of His grace and His willingness to work in our lives, and not just in our lives, but in others' lives as well. And I pray that He will give us the strength to, to share our testimony and to proclaim His message of love as often as we can. So let's look at Galatians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 13. And while you're turning there, did I ever tell you about the time I once ate a clock? Uh -oh. Yeah. It took forever, especially when I went back for seconds. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. All right. Have you had enough time to find Galatians chapter 1? Uh, verse 13. Listen, this is Paul talking. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was, 
and said, I went away into Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. <laughs> After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Sicilia, and still the Christians in the churches in Judea did not know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So in these verses, Paul is sharing his testimony. And a couple weeks back, I think three weeks now, I shared a sermon titled, Sharing Our Testimony. And we looked at Paul's testimony in Acts chapter 26 and how it had three parts. And it, in that, that testimony and also in here, he has three parts again. It gives us enough structure to make sure we hit all the essentials without too much structure that we, we come across like we're rehearsing something, right? Or we're really just rotely uh, repeating back something we have practiced. And so it's a very nice blend. And let's look at those three parts. Verses 13 and 14, you'll find that before Christ, he says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. And then in verses 15 and 16, we see the cross. This is Paul's salvation experience. He says, God revealed his son to me. And when this happened, he goes on and he talks about that. And then we find the third part, after Christ, starting in verse 17 and continuing all the way through chapter 2, verse 10. And people testify of Paul. They said, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And so our testimonies find a similar structure. When we get an opportunity to share with somebody, we can use that before Christ, here's what happened at salvation, and here's how I've been changed. We can use that general format to communicate in, you know, maybe two to three sentences for each section. You're talking less than two minutes, tops. You can share a very brief testimony of who you were and how you met Christ and how your life has changed. That's the essential. How many of you are following me? Amen? Okay, then Paul uses this, I believe, repeatedly as he is testifying and, and preaching and, and witnessing the people. Now, these three parts, they form uh, the skeleton uh, for our study this morning. We're going to look at each one in detail and consider what they mean for us. And I'm going to, I'll be honest, I'm going to spend most of my time in that first part. There's a reason why. Okay, it's a theme that, that flows throughout Galatians, and it has to do with part of the reason uh, part of the, the false teaching that these these Jewish people were, were given the Galatians, okay? That what they were saying was faith plus. It's faith plus the law, faith plus circumcision, faith plus all these rituals and requirements. And Paul is saying throughout this letter and in his testimony, first and foremost, that fulfilling God's law doesn't necessarily lead to sharing God's character. Fulfilling God's law doesn't necessarily lead to sharing God's character. Look at verse 13 and 14 again. He says, I used to be violent, right? And we're talking about a man who thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting Christians. He said, I used to be violent. Paul tried to destroy the church. See, the law did not, the law of God did not produce the love of God in Paul's life. Instead of drawing him closer to God and others, it actually distanced him from God and others. How? Look at verse 14. Verse 14 tells us, 
Paul says, I was far ahead. Everybody say far ahead. Far ahead. I was far ahead. See, the law naturally lends itself to comparing ourselves with other people. Who's farther ahead? Who's better? Who's meeting the requirements? Who's following the rituals more than others? More importantly, who's not? Who's not consistently following those rituals? And so this naturally leads itself to pride in people like Paul, people who, who are very to the letter and extremely disciplined and they're, they're following these things. It naturally leads to pride because they look over and they say, well, you're not, where were you? What were you doing? I was doing it. And it kind of puffs up because it lends itself to comparing. But it also lends itself to condemnation in those who don't or are not uh, able to consistently follow it as much as possible. Um, somebody shared with me this, this YouTube series called The Chosen. Um, if, you've, if you've not seen it, I've only watched one episode, and it's pretty good. Okay, It's a YouTube series called The Chosen, and it's uh, very well made, just going through the, the stories of the gospel. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, probably because I watched it this week and I was preaching on this this week, is how the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, people like Paul, they were telling the common folk uh, that they couldn't go fishing uh, uh, on, on the Sabbath, essentially. But because of the heavy Roman taxes and the heavy religious taxes, the people barely had anything to eat. And so they would sneak out and fish just so they could feed their family. And they would call them on this kind of stuff. Oh, you're breaking the law by, by working on the Sabbath. No, I'm feeding my kids on the Sabbath. Right? There was this, this was how Paul was. The law of God did not produce the love of God in him. And naturally, it lended itself to this, this idea of performance-based religion. Performance-based faith. Mm -hmm. It lends itself to uh, a, a hierarchy of haves and have-nots. People who can and cannot keep the law or requirements as religiously as someone like Paul could. So I find it interesting. And I want you to listen very close to me. Because I think this will circle back to us in a minute. But I... Uh, into me and to you specifically because I think this is very prevalent in the church today, not just our con congregation, but Christianity in general. I find it interesting that it's possible to fulfill God's requirements and yet not think, feel, or act like God. Paul's life proves that it's, it's possible to perform well and yet lose that life both in the present and in the future. We see this in, in people like uh, Marty Sampson, famous Hillsong songwriter, performing well. And then he stands up one day and says, you know, I don't really have faith. Or my faith isn't really what it comes off to be. It's possible to perform well and yet not embody or share God's characteristics. One of the dangers of performance-based faith are that it's based on our ability to follow a certain set of rules, like going to church or giving to charity. But this is simply not true, although going to church and giving to charity are good things. 
and undoubtedly there are principles, even, even rules, I guess we could call them, that God gives Christians to guide their lives, to guide their choices. Following these is for our benefit because they lend, they tend to lead to an abundant and thriving, established life filled with the goodness of God. However, however, while the abundance of our lives is determined by our ability to apply God's principles, it is not the basis for our salvation. It is not the basis for our salvation. Listen very closely. There, you're, the basis of your salvation is solely your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus was more than a man, that he was the Son of God, that he died on that cross and rose again, taking the punishment for your sins and making you right in God? Do you believe that? If you believe that, you are a child of God, like our opening song says. You are a child of God. Now, when we look at all of the children of God, all of the people who profess and, and have genuine faith in Jesus Christ, their lives vary in abundance. Why? Because they vary in their ability to, to apply God's principles consistently. Some of us who are believers, we, we are saved. We are going to heaven. We will stand before God and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But you, I, we, our marriages aren't quite what they should be. Our relationships with our children aren't quite what they should be. Our work isn't quite what it should be. Our relationships with our neighbors or our ministry here at church is not quite as abundant as, it, as we would hope it or would want it to be. Why? Is it because we don't have faith in Christ? Absolutely not. It's because we maybe aren't as disciplined as we ought to be or could be, right? The abundance of our lives is based on our ability to apply the principles that God teaches us in Scripture. And quite frankly, some of us are more disciplined and better at it than others. And that's okay. We are all in process. Yes. See, the law tends to, to cause us to compare. Well, my marriage is better than yours, or my marriage is not as good as theirs. And we start comparing when we consider the performance of our, in the abundance of our lives. And so that can tend to, to lead us up or down depending on where we're at. But what we must understand is if we want a more abundant life, then we ought to put our focus and our attention on more consistently, more with better discipline, applying God's principles. But that is totally separate from what our faith and what determines our eternal destination. And I think Christians have a hard time. They really confuse that. They really confuse the, the two. Am I making any sense today? That this, to me, is one of the most foundational uh, 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 sermons uh, that, that I can't even tell you the last time I've heard a sermon like this. Just laying out these fundamental very fundamental thoughts. So, our faith, salvation is by faith in the redemptive work of Christ. And so long as we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Savior of the world, then our salvation is intact. Paul teaches us that in Romans 10, 9 and 10. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he would add to that, saying our salvation is intact 
so long as we continue to demonstrate our faith in how we live our lives. That is, that we are actively modeling our lives after Christ's life. Remember, James says, listen, you have faith. Well, show me your faith by how you live. Your, you, the way you live demonstrates or proves that you have this faith. This is not just a profession. It's your confession. It's your way of a life. And so, to what degree, as I stopped and I thought about this for myself, I thought, to what degree is my faith dependent on my ability to follow God's principles? Is my faith a performance-based faith or a grace-based faith? I thought about that this week. What about you? How would you even know the answer to those questions? Well, there's two ways, two things. The first is how you approach the development of Christian character. If you're not taking notes, you ought to be taking notes because you're gonna wanna either listen to this sermon or look back at these again. In your, in your app, Cornerstone app, I put more robust notes on this. So if you wanna look at that real quick, you can, all right? Um, and so there's two ways. The first is how you approach the development of Christian character and how you respond when you fail. The, the answers to these two questions will tell you if you have a performance-based faith or a grace-based faith. Okay, listen very close. The first one, development of Christian character, growing more and more like Christ. If you have a performance-based faith, you will tend to approach the development of Christian character with a fixed mindset. You will, meaning you will look at, I tried to illustrate this, you guys know I'm a physics math guy, so I'm trying stuff out, right? You will see the three parts, before Christ's salvation and then after Christ over time, right? And then Christian character is on the y-axis, all right? A person with performance-based faith has a fixed mindset, meaning they look at the, the having Christian character like you either have it or you don't. It's black or it's white, and it's very abrupt. It's instantaneous. You get saved, and shortly thereafter, you have Christian character, like in the fullest. You are patient as Christ. You are as loving as Christ. You are as kind as Christ, and you have self-control. You can put that ice cream back in the refrigerator, pull your hand out, and it's bang. Right? This is... This is how people with performance-based mindset, uh, based faith with a fixed mindset, think. Christian character is instantaneous, and they will tend to minimize the amount of time it really takes to become more like Christ or develop new habits or start responding supernaturally when everything within them wants to be impatient, wants to be selfish, wants to be rude, etc. Whereas a person with grace-based faith will view the development of Christian character as a long-term process. Again, you see before Christ, salvation, I, here's, this is what happened to me. And then the after Christ portion, notice it's got ups and downs, but it's generally trending upwards. This is the reality that we live in. The development of Christian character is not instantaneous. You will not get saved today and tomorrow be extremely patient, if that's your thing. If you struggle with being impatient, you will not wake up tomorrow and, and be uh, 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 like 100% as top patient as you can possibly be. It just don't happen that way. Or as kind, or as with as much self-control, or as faithful. 
It's a slow build. Ups, downs. Sometimes, most of the time you're getting it. Sometimes you're not. How many of you can testify that this is the truth? Mm -hmm. Amen. This is the truth. And so, this is the first thing. This is the first way you know whether or not your faith is performance-based or grace-based faith. If it's grace-based faith, you know that it's God begins to work in your life. That's what grace is. Grace is God's influence in your life. And as you come to Him day after day, again, tuning in. For God, just have your way in my life. Even that 30-second prayer before you start getting ready for the day. God, just be involved in my life. Help me to be more patient. Help me to be more kind. I keep mentioning patience. I think somebody here needs to hear that. Okay? I see some elbows flying. That's for you. That's for you. Okay, don't worry. I'll get to your thing. I'll get to your thing in a minute. But this is every day turning to him. And throughout the day, you might stumble. You might act out in a way. You might do something that you know you ought not to do. And then that brings us to this second part. How do you know if your faith is performance-based or grace-based? Well, it's not only how you approach the development of Christian character, but it's how you respond when you fail. It's how do you respond when you fail. See, if you have performance-based faith in a fixed mindset, look at it again. You have your before Christ. You have this instantaneous like boost in character. All of a sudden, you're like... You're walking on water, right? But then it's not too long after that you have a, fa a failure of some kind, any kind, right? Uh, and, and when people have a performance-based faith, this fixed mindset, they look at failure as being a permanent thing. It's irrecoverable, unforgivable. I can't move forward. I have just failed God. And more importantly, they tend to internalize it. Instead of... Oh, in that moment I fail, they start bringing this negative talk, self-talk into the situation and they say, I am a failure. I am a failure. And they, there's, I'm telling you, there may be someone here, in fact, I think there is this morning, not that I know, but I'm speaking out prophetically, that somebody is walking around, has been for years with this kind of negative self-talk, I'm a failure. I have failed God. How can God love me? How can God use me? And you're barely dragging yourself to church. You're barely dragging yourself to open up the Bible because you think that there's no recovery. And that is an absolute lie. It is an absolute lie. Someone once said, failure is not falling down. We all fall down. I fall down. It's not getting up again. That's the real failure. Amen. Let me show you grace-based faith. And I drew a pretty deep failure there. I drew a pretty deep down. Right? Because at some point in our lives, we, we're going to have one of those. Right? We're going to have, it's not just a, a little thing like it's between you and God, but it's something that you fail and it hurts someone else. And you're ashamed of it. And you can barely talk about it. And it's that time that the, the enemy, the devil will come in or others will come in with condemnation. And they will try to keep you down. Stay down. Don't get up. Because you don't deserve it. That's what they'll say to you. 
That's what the enemy will say to you. But I read in uh, Paul, a man who persecuted the church, like think Osama bin Laden, think terrorists, think awful, awful things. That's what Paul was. And yet God took him from that place and used him to do great things. And if God can use a, turn a terrorist around, I fully am confident he can turn you around no matter what you did. Yeah. Now listen close. Get off the mat. Get off the floor. Get up and start walking with the Lord again. But here's, here's a, a, a little caveat to this that I don't hear preached. I can't even tell you the last time I heard this mentioned, but I mention it now. When we, if you look at that, go to Galatians 5 real quick. Go to Galatians 5. Is it 5 or 6? No, go to 5, 19. Paul describes, he makes a short list of, of he calls them uh, desires of your simple nature. I think in other places he talks about it. It's like works of the flesh. These are things that come when you, when you act naturally. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, speaking of homosexuality, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition, meaning you'll do anything to get ahead, anything to climb that ladder, including getting, putting someone else down. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life consistently will not inherit the kingdom of God. Unrepentantly, I'll add that, I think that's implied in there, unrepentant, consistent, uh, living like that, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, is what he's saying. And so let's say you have selfish ambition. Let's say you get drunk. Let's say you participate in a wild party, which in some translation, orgies, right? You he's talking about these works of the flesh. Let's say you have an outburst of anger and you holler at your kid when you know you shouldn't have. Or you get do something uh, at work and you get super angry and get out of control. Maybe you're fighting bickering constantly about the dumbest things. Maybe you struggle with lust for pleasures. Maybe there's something greater. He talks about idolatry. He talks about sorcery. Straight up, maybe you're into witchcraft. Right? Maybe it's a one-time thing. You're a Christian and you have this, you have full faith in Christ you believe he's more than a man. And then, man, you have a moment of weakness and you look at some things, watch some things you're not supposed to. And the devil's there telling you to stay down and you get back up. You're forgiven. But I'm telling you, there might be some consequences to that. Right. Mm -hmm. Paul teaches us in Romans 6, he says, you will reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap negative consequences. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap good things. And so, even though we're forgiven, some of these things may carry some pretty long-lasting consequences. Mm -hmm. And so, even though you and God are tight and you're walking side by side still, you may be carrying with you some of those consequences that might hinder you from building the type of abundant life He really wants you to have. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is it possible to be forgiven is it possible to get up off of that mat 
and still be dealing with some consequences from bad choices in the past? Right? Can you still walk with God even if you have a, a dip down like that? Absolutely. Are you, does God still love you? Absolutely. See, from a grace-based perspective, walking with God was never possible on our own. It never was. And yet, sometimes when we get saved, especially if we have a fixed mindset, we pretend that it is. We pretend that if I just do the rules and do the right things that good Christians are supposed to do, that somehow now I, I have earned God's favor, that he'll love me more. You cannot make God love you more. He gave his son on the cross for you. You can't love any more than that. I wouldn't give my son for you. And you wouldn't give your son or daughter for me. But God did. You see, God simply lets us walk with him through life because of our faith in Jesus. And that is it. When we believe he's more than a man and we believe he's the son of God, he says, well, now you're a child of God. Now you're one of my children. And that we're going to have those ups and downs. We're going to have those dip downs. And we may be carrying some consequences with us now and again. Sometimes those consequences eventually fade away and we're free up to live a little more abundantly than we were before. But that, here's the bottom line. I want you to know that that is normal. Listen to me. That is normal. So our goal when we fail, our, our goal really, I, I would say, is to keep that upward trend going just as long as we can. Does that make sense? Are you, am I, are you following me today? Yes. I don't, I'm not throwing in a lot of jokes or humor. I didn't feel like it was appropriate. And the first joke I told wasn't even that good. Okay, so I'll just spare you from there. Okay? I'm trying to teach you something really fundamental, and I hope, I hope that you're hearing me. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ or listening on the podcast, you don't know Christ, but you're kind of checking out this faith in Christ, what it means, I want you to really pay close attention to the things I've said about grace and about becoming more like Christ. God does not ask you to, to oh, well, if you perform well, if you clean yourself up, if you stop those things, then, then you can get saved, then you can become one of my children. Nope, it don't work like that. You will languish and, 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 and fight self-pity and, and, and be frustrated uh, and so long as you act like that. He just says, come. It starts with faith, and then you let God change you. Yeah. You let God change you. You'll be surprised when you express faith in Christ and you say, I'm listening to you. And you know what? I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And, and I have that faith. In that moment, you become one of his children. And if you start tuning in him each and every day, he's going to start changing your lives in ways that you never thought possible. How many can yeah. testify that's true? Yeah. Amen. The second and the third thing that I want to say this morning are going to go relatively quickly. The first is part of Paul's second testimony. It's found in 50, verses 15 and 16. Go back there. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. 
when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, and he goes on from there. Um, the second thing I want you to understand is that God can redeem our past. God can redeem our past. God redeemed Paul's past. What does it mean to redeem something? Do we have any like avid couponers here? Avid couponers? No? No avid couponers? Man, I know some people, there's a few people, man, they're like, they're clip crazy, right? They're getting the paper and clipping and doing all sorts of things. I suppose it's a little different now these days. Uh, but to redeem means to turn something in and get something back. Jesus turned his life in. He got it back. But in the process, he got all of ours back too. Amen. He got all of ours back too. And Paul, Paul's past was redeemed. His past did not determine his future. Who Paul was and what he did were redefined when he had his salvation experience with God. And you'll notice that everything he says about this centers on what God did in his life. This is a stark contrast to how he used to be. When he was following the law, it was all about him. What I did, I followed the rituals. I did this, I did that. And so God, you've got to love me because I did this, this, this. No. Right now, after he met Jesus... He, everything centers on what God did. Look at what he says. God chose him. Paul didn't choose God. God called Paul. Paul didn't call God. It was God's grace that changed Paul's life. God revealed Jesus to Paul. Paul didn't go looking for Jesus. God came looking for him. How many of you are glad God came looking for you? Amen. Yes. God came looking for Paul. came looking for you and I. God gave Paul his preaching assignment. Paul didn't choose his purpose. Some of us, we think like, I you know, chose to be an educator, a principal, and you chose to be a, a, a plumber or a, a, a work in technology, or you chose to uh, be an electrician or to be a mom or something like that. You think, oh, I chose that. Well, I don't know about that. I think God chose you for that. And what was true for Paul is true for us. It's God's choice, his calling, his grace that changes our lives. It was God that came looking for us like the shepherd who left those 99 sheep went looking for the one. God found us. God gives us our, our purpose. And so when God redeems us, everything that gets good about our lives comes from him. Yes. We didn't have anything. Without, how good were we without him? Yeah, not very good. <laughs> Not very good, right? And so everything good we have comes from Him. Now, some Christians struggle with the idea that God can use them in great ways despite their past mistakes. And I think Paul struggled with this sometimes. Can you turn to 1 Corinthians 15.9 real quick? Just back to the left a few pages. 1 Corinthians 15.9. Look what Paul says about himself. For I am the least, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. I see some struggle there. I see him waking up one day thinking, man, you know, wow, I, I'm not quite what I, what I think I was. And yet, in the very next breath, look what Paul says, but whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out a special favor on me, and not without results. 
For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Mm -hmm. See, whatever you and I are now, it is because of God's favor on our lives. Every good thing that we have is because of God working and redeeming our past. I know God has redeemed my past. God has helped me overcome a sinful and selfish lifestyle. He's using me in ways I never thought possible. And so my only hope is that when he looks at me, he can see good results from the favor he has shown me. What about you? How has God redeemed your past? Your transformation might not be as dramatic as Paul, but how has God changed your life since coming to faith? How has God changed your life? And how would you like him to change your life in the future? I bet you can think of one thing right now when you go, Boy, I wish God would help me change that. I'd probably get in a lot less trouble and have a lot less strife if I could just overcome that. If I could be more patient. There it is again. More patient. More kind. And so forth. Let's look at the third reason. The third, the third thing that we learned from, from uh, Paul's testimony. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. The last is that God confirms our calling. This starts in verse 17 and continues all the way through chapter 2, verse 10. First of all, I want you to notice the huge gaps in time contained within just a few verses. Look what he says um, in verse 18. Then three years later, three years after what? After his conversion, I went to Jerusalem to get no Peter. I stayed there for 15 days, roughly two weeks. The only other apostle I met with was James. And after that, I went north. And then go to verses 2, or chapter 2, verse 1. Then 14 years later after that, now we're talking 17 years after his conversion, he finally went back to Jerusalem and met with the, the church leaders there. And then look at um, verse 2. Let's read some of this. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear. There it is. For fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running my race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. So we see Paul struggling. As we mentioned, as we looked in uh, 1 Corinthians 15:9, saying, Listen, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. And here we come back and he wakes up one day and says, I. I wonder if, if I'm on track. Have I wasted all of my energy these 17 years? I've got to know if I'm doing the right thing. And so he goes to people he respects. He goes to the Jerusalem Council. And he tells them what he's been doing and what he's been preaching. And they support him and they confirm him. And he says later on that, that they didn't add anything to my message. I had been on track. I've been doing exactly what God wanted me to do. You know, I think there are days when each of us wake up and we wonder if we're on track. When we wake up and we go, man, am I wasting my time? Am I where God wants me to be? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I making a difference? And I think it's in those moments that we need some reassurance. We need God to come and confirm His calling on our lives and tell us, that, hey, yes, you're on the right track. You are doing what you need to do. And naturally, this, this comes off weak. 
This may, it, we naturally think, oh, this makes us weak, but I don't think so. I think it shows that we care. If you're sitting here and you're wondering if you're on track, if you're doing a good job as a parent or as a spouse or as a, a, at your work or as a boss or, or here at church or in your community as a neighbor, that shows you care. If you're not asking questions like that, then you're indifferent. It doesn't matter to you, right? And so the fact that you and I ask once in a while, oh man, am I on track? That doesn't mean that, we, that we're weak. It shows that we care. Exactly. Was Paul weak? No. I mean, the guy started churches, traveled, and endured all sorts of persecution, wrote most of the New Testament. Was he weak? No. Did he wake up one day and go, man, am I doing the right thing? Yes. Absolutely. And I think the same is true for us. I know I need to hear that once in a while, especially whenever I'm working really hard and not seeing many results. In order to keep going, I need to have someone else, whether it be God or others, come and give me a boost of encouragement. What about you? Have you been in that type of situation? Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe you're working your bottom off in your role as a parent and you're just not seeing the fruit you want, the results you want in your kids' lives. Maybe you are working super duper hard as a, as a spouse or as a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you're just like, man, I'm really working hard to try to do this the right way and yet I'm not really seeing much change. Maybe you're, uh, that, that, that's, that's the truth at work or uh, you're, you're like, feel like you're banging your head into a wall. Maybe it's true in ministry. But whatever, wherever you're at, wherever you're experiencing that, let me give you a couple things specific things to do to confirm your calling rather than just give you a general attaboy, okay, from the pulpit. Let me give you a couple things. First thing is this. Go to someone you respect, like Paul did. Tell them how you're doing things. Maybe somebody who observes you, kind of knows you in that role. Ask them, what do you see? Am I on track? Am I doing this the right way? Am I doing this God's way, more importantly? Second of all, look in Scripture to see if you're fulfilling your role in the way God prescribes. If you are, well, you're doing a good job. You're on track. And lastly, ask God to send you some encouragement. I bet you're already doing that. Ask Him to send you some encouragement to help you know that you're on track. It's okay to need that assurance once in a while. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Once in a while, it's good to know, like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm on the right track. Well, now, this is the summary. And here's ties back. We're talking about being freed for a reason. And I've given you some, kind of some heavy stuff, some really contemplative stuff to, to think about today. The first was fulfilling God's law doesn't necessarily lead to sharing God's character. So we talked about performance versus grace-based faith. And how we need to have that growth mindset. We talked about what really is normal in the Christian life and in, the, in your walk with God. We've said that God can redeem our past. He redeemed Paul's. He can redeem ours. And then lastly, we've seen how God confirmed Paul's calling and how he does that for us as well. The common theme through all of this is that God frees us for a reason. Everything God does to develop Christian character in us, everything God does to redeem our past, everything God does to confirm our calling is so that we can pass on His character his redemption story, his calling to those who don't have it or have never heard it. You can hear that in Paul's testimony. He gave his life 
to taking the gospel, that good news. Hey, listen, what is better news to this world than to tell them, you don't have to follow a bunch of rules and you can have eternal salvation. You can have an abundant life if you apply God's principles consistently. What's better news than God can redeem your past? Yeah. I don't know much better news than that. And God's got a calling on your life. He's got to put that out. We are free for a reason. And we don't do that because we're obligated to do so. We do that out of love for that person and our love for God. I mean, when I went and seen Star Wars over Christmas or whatever, nobody had to tell me, nobody had to twist my arm to tell other, other people that I liked the movie, right? When you see a good movie or you experience something really cool, you naturally talk about it. So it, I think the same is true for us. When we come to faith in Christ, we, yeah, we'll naturally, naturally talk about it. Yeah. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you for your attentiveness. I had planned on giving you a con conversation break in there, but I just kind of moved on in the sake of time. Did you get something out of this morning? Yes. Amen. I hope so. It was a little, I don't know if forceful is the right word. I hope I clarified a few things for you, whether you're a believer or not. Clarified what walking with God actually looks like. What is normal? What is needed through Paul's testimony and through Paul's life? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to share this morning. I pray that, that my words will uh, bear fruit in, in people's lives, in my life, Lord God, uh, when I tend or uh, they tend towards that performance, thinking, God, help us to remember that our salvation is based solely on our faith. And any change that, that, that comes in our life is because of your work in us, not ours, God. We couldn't change my life. We couldn't change our life before knowing you. And we can't do it after knowing you. So God, just begin to work in our lives today. Just begin to work in our lives right now, God. Give us the discipline, the consistency that we need, Lord, to get that abundant life, that abundant relationship with you and with others that we, we really want. Help us to overcome those bad habits, Lord, and develop supernatural good habits in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those who need their past redeemed or want it redeemed. Help remind them that you can change them. Those who need reassurance today that they're on the right track, send that to them in Jesus' name, whether it be through another person or just by your Holy Spirit. I thank you for them. Go with us now. Protect us on the roads and uh, bring us some more sunshine. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Greet someone on your way out. I'll stick around if you like to chat or need prayer. I'm here to help. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.